as you, I hope, can tell, I tremendously enjoy our study of Pilgrim's Progress. It is such a wonderful book and so many eye-opening things that touch our lives pretty closely. And the next thing that we're coming to is Giant Despair and Doubting Castle. And I finished typing up all those notes for us and everything. I have three pages, yay, barely four. And I thought there's no way that I'm going to deal with that in one Sunday. I don't really want to deal with it in one Sunday. And if I started it today, it's the better part of a month till we're able to get after it again. So I thought, you know, maybe we'll just set that aside for now and do something for one day today, which I trust will be really relevant. Uh, if you look at the introduction that I wrote under the title, The Journey, for the past couple months, we've been on a journey with some unforgettable characters that John Bunyan dreamed up while spending 12 years as a prisoner in the Bedford jail for refusing to get the approval of the Church of England for his preaching. We are more than halfway through the Pilgrim's Progress, but there are some detours ahead. The next major character we meet is Giant Despair, to assure that we will not shortchange our coverage of Christian's experience in Doubting Castle, we will pause to give attention to another journey, actually several journeys, that are very apropos for this time of year. Now, you have the notes in your hand. <laughs> there is not a blank to be seen, not a blank in sight. Although, feel free to write in the margins or write on the back or whatever if you so choose. But here we go. The journey, the journey. Like I said, this is actually several journeys that are all relevant to the things that we are giving our attention to at this time of year. Journey number one is the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It is the journey of a pregnant virgin named Mary and her righteous husband, named Joseph. Now I'm going to be reading passages of scripture and uh, I invite you to join with me and they'll all be familiar passages I think because you're familiar with scripture as a whole but the first passage is in Luke chapter 2 and the first seven verses read thus in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Where is Nazareth? Nazareth is up 
in the Galilee region, and Nazareth is right here, almost on a level with the south part of the Sea of Galilee. And where is Bethlehem? Well, the most important city on the map, of course, is Jerusalem, but Bethlehem is but about two miles from Jerusalem. If you have ever visited the Holy Land, it is, dare I say, within walking distance between the two. But, and it's a big but for sure, there is a wall of partition and all that kind of stuff. It is not possible, I don't think, to walk between the two. Today, last time I was in the Holy Land, we had to change buses and change guides to get from Israel where we were over to one who would take us uh, to Bethlehem. Uh, we might even see a picture of that wall before we're done this morning. So what was that trip? Well, it was a trip that would consume several days, a few days of travel at least. Uh, the distance between those two locations, I've seen it variously given as 70 miles. I think I've seen 90 miles and everything. You know, not every trip is as the crow flies. The crow can fly in a pretty straight shot if he wants to, but oftentimes roads have to bend around because of natural hazards and other things. But it was a considerable trip, especially a considerable trip for a lady who was apparently in the latter stages of her pregnancy. Uh, did she make the trip on the back of a donkey or whatever? I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps so. If she did, I, I'm sure they weren't trying to make speed, but Joseph was trying to be kind to make it a little less taxing on her. But if any of you have ever ridden on a donkey, I don't have any of you ever ridden on a donkey? If you've ridden on a donkey, it's not necessarily a smooth ride. It really isn't. It, it kind of, you know, goes along with little steps. But anyhow, the lesson that I see in this part, and so much more could be said about this, the lesson is God may use external circumstances to guide, to guide us on our journey. God may use external circumstances to guide us. I should have the word us in there on our journey. What, what does, where does that come in in the passage that we just read? What moved Mary and Joseph from Nazareth down to Bethlehem? A census. Who ordered the census? Well, the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Augustus, and then there's another man named Quirinius who is mentioned here, who is more of a local ruler in Syria, but the most powerful man in the world gave this census decree and all the world was set in motion. And so were these two humble individuals not important individuals on the scheme of the, you know, what people see and what people admire. But they were put in motion too because not only was Joseph of the house and lineage of David, but so also was Mary. External circumstances. Do, do, we, do we ever have our lives affected by external circumstances? <laughs> A lot, don't we? A lot. Sometimes bigger than other times, 
And sometimes they can be very frustrating circumstances and, and maybe even cause us to do things that we wouldn't choose to do, but, but we find we have to do. But you know what? God is sitting upon the throne in the heavens. He is directing all things. Not most things. Not just some things like big events. He is directing all things. So for that, that first journey, the familiar journey of Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Now, why did they go to Bethlehem? Well, of course, they went to Bethlehem because that's where the enrollment was for those of the house of David, because that's where David was from. But why on the bigger scale did they go to Bethlehem? Micah. Because of <laughs> Micah who? <laughs> Micah what did Micah say, Vicky? The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Yeah, that's exactly the answer here. So God is moving all things so that the prophecy would be fulfilled in a specific place from the words of a prophet hundreds of years before this hundreds of years before this. Journey number one. So they came to Bethlehem and there, and I put that little, that little statement in there, the destination is worth the journey. The destination where this great messianic promise was fulfilled. And while they were there, while they were there. Now let me take that off again. This artistic depiction shows Joseph and Mary, even shows some shepherd fields here. Bethlehem is on the other side of that wall. This is pretty much what that wall looks like today. You, you, you can't walk from Nazareth, where they're coming from, over to Bethlehem, or just from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, without encountering this wall that's a result of the partition there. And there's graffiti on it all over the place. This is certainly uh, you know, an art, a picture with much artistic license here, but to make a point. So more apropos, while they were there, she gave birth to the promised Messiah. Was it in a scene like that? I, I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether it was a nice, uh, nice shelter like that, or I don't know whether I, I kind of have a tendency to think it was maybe more like a cave where some animals were kept or whatever. But while they were there, the Lord Jesus was born. Journey number one. Journey number two. From shepherd fields to a cattle stall. Now, we already have our Bible open to Luke chapter two, so let's just read... A little bit further here now, beginning with verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round, around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of a great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ 
the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Shepherds out in the field at night. Was it winter time? Well, we're really not told specifically in there. I kind of have a tendency to think that it was, but they were shepherding flocks which were kept out in the fields all during the year, and these flocks were very peculiar in that these flocks were flocks that were destined for temple sacrifices, very specifically. The silence of perhaps quiet talking around the fire was shattered by the startling appearing of an angel of the Lord. Obviously, we have seen this so many times in Scripture that when there is a divine appearance, there is fear. We would feel the same. We would feel the same. But they were told to fear not, but they were brought the good news of great joy which was declared to them. What was the good news of great joy? For unto you is born this day, this day in the city of David, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know, I I don't think that we are warranted at all to conclude that this happened any time other than the day that Christ was born. There is born to you this day. That's that's my impression of it. And then the heavenly chorus, praising God. Were they singing? I don't know. I don't know. Very possibly. Matter of fact, I would say very likely. <laughs> Do I know for sure? I don't know. Uh, was there a big angel like Larry in the back row with a booming voice <laughs> singing with them? I know, but someday, right, Larry? Someday. We're sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love this, and, and I've just made this a whole, a whole series of bullet points here, just going through what we read. So the shepherds heard, then the shepherds obeyed, then the shepherds went, then the shepherds found, then the shepherds saw, then the shepherds praised, And then the shepherds proclaimed. Proclaimed what? They proclaimed the good news that they had seen with their own eyes. 
the Savior who has been born. These stories are so familiar to us because of our familiarity with these passages of Scripture. The second journey wasn't a long one, I don't think, from the shepherd fields in Bethlehem into Bethlehem, wherever that manger was. And so, let me suggest a lesson for this. The journey doesn't have to be long to be worthwhile. The journey doesn't have to be long to be worthwhile. Now, now what am I, I talking about, of course, here? Primarily about the story that we read in Scripture, but when we think about our lives, when we think about our lives, you, you know what flashed through my mind as I'm, as I'm thinking about this and typing the sheet up for us? I think of the journey that Lila was on. That wasn't a long journey, was it? That was 10 years. 10 years. Uh, did her life have a significant effect on anybody? On a lot of people. I still have a picture of little Lila on the little stand right next to where I sit to read my devotions and all and have some books. I have Lila's picture there. I have the picture of Kevin McNamara and his family, my dear friend, soccer player. I have the picture of my grandson, Ryan. I have a picture of uh, Rachel and Lynn, the missionary that I talked about earlier from Myanmar, who they're living in Arizona because the land's closed right now because of hostility. And I have the picture of another couple who are the next, going to be the next directors at Camp Victory. But Lila's there among them. The journey doesn't have to be long to be worthwhile and to be significant. Now, most of our journeys, if we're measuring them in years and everything, have been a goodly journey thus far, you know. But it doesn't have to be long. Journey number three. Ah, journey. Were there three of them? I don't know. <laughs> a journey from far away in the east to the birthplace of the king of the Jews. And to read this, we can't read it in Luke's gospel because he does not give an account of this, but Matthew's gospel does give an account of this. So we go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And reading the first 12 verses of this chapter. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came and rest, to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Now, this is a, a picture from an artist that I love very much who's painted a lot of the scenes from the scriptures. Uh, were there three wise men? There's no way of knowing that. The only way we conclude that is from the three gifts that were given. There may have been three, but may have been a lot. May I just ask this question, insert this question here. Uh, are, are you aware of the fact that David Jeremiah's ministry uh, made, uh, I forget what the title of it is, the nativity of Jesus or something like that. You could find that by going online. And uh, I watched that. It's very, very well made. Very, very well made. And he gives narrative all throughout it. And then scenes that have been depicted very, very well. When it comes to the Magi, I thought it most interesting the way it was represented. And I'm not going to quibble about it or whatever, but he actually had wise men or magi coming from several different locations in the Gentile world and all kind of converging in Bethlehem. I thought that was most unique. Most unique. Uh, where did they come from? Well, they came from the east. Uh, this is one map of it. And it locates it over in the area which we commonly call Iran today. And this is not an easy journey or a quick journey either. If it was straight as an arrow, it would have been through terrible desert, terrible desert, virt virtually impenetrable desert. So that virtually every time somebody travels from here to here, you go up and over. It was a long trip. It was a long trip. Uh, how did these individuals come to know that they were going on that trip to see the one who was born king of the Jews? How would they know? Were these men Israelites displaced from their country? Absolutely not. They were Gentiles. The first aspect of this is the message of the Jews of the dispersion. Were there Jews of the dispersion living over in this part of the world? Yes, there were. What had taken them to that part of the world? Captivities. A remnant returned from those places, you remember, but not everybody returned. So there were Jews of the dispersion who were still living there, and it could be known through them, to be sure, these promises. A second thing is the miracle star in the heavens. When we read this passage, if we were reading in our Greek Testaments here, and Daniel would be smiling away back there at our mispronunciation of certain things, but when we read verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. That word his is in an emphatic position in the Greek. 
in an emphatic position, a genitive case, the case of possession usually follows the noun. This one precedes it. The miracle star in the heavens. What exactly was the nature of that star? I don't know, but I'll rest my case in calling it a miracle star in the heavens. Two things. A third thing is the prophecy of Micah, very, very specifically the prophecy of Micah. Messianic expectations could be heard from the Jews of the, uh, of the dispersion, but very specifically the promise of Micah takes them to Bethlehem. And so they began that long journey, very long journey. Uh, the estimate is that uh, they may have talked with Herod perhaps as much as two years later than the actual birth. You'll notice they don't come to the manger. They come to a house. And it is in the house that they found not the infant, but the baby. So, you know, how many times have I seen in manger scenes and on Christmas cards the Magi standing right there with the shepherds? A bunch of times. I'm not even going to say if I received any Christmas cards from you guys this year that might have had that picture. Or whatever. Is my manger scene at home on our dry sink? Does it have Magi and a shepherd guy? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. But anyhow, anyhow. I think there's a lesson here. The lesson, God will use various methods to guide us on our journey, both natural and supernatural. How does God guide us in the things that we do and the things that we ought to be doing? Well, number one, first and foremost, we're to put at the top of the list to be sure, he guides us by his word. He guides us by his word. The very first thing that I prayed for this morning when I prayed for you all using Paul's prayer to the Colossians, Paul prayed that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will. And I would add to that the words as revealed in his word you might be filled with the knowledge of his will as it is revealed in his work. Hunger and thirst after the word every day. Never tire of that. Never tire of that. If we all live to be 95, I hope we're still able to read God's word. And may it not be that we all live to be 95. <laughs> I don't want that. Uh, various methods. The scriptures, and very closely connected with that, prayer for us. The scriptures and prayer. In addition to that, is there any value in receiving counsel that is wise counsel and biblical counsel? Absolutely there is. Absolutely there is, to be sure. <clears throat> is there anything that we would add to that list? <clears throat> Can God guide us by signs and things like that? <clears throat> well, I don't expect to ever see an angel standing at the foot of our bed. <clears throat> I don't expect that. Uh, do I expect to see in the heavens something that will guide me as to where I should go? I do not expect that either. I remember reading the story of an individual who said, he was telling the story of a young man who looked up into the sky and saw the clouds. And you know, the clouds just fascinate me, their variety and all that stuff. But this young man looked up in the clouds and he thought he saw a cloud formation that was like the letters P, C. Preach Christ. Have you, have you read that story? <laughs> he, he saw in the heavens 
clouds that looked like PC, and he took that to mean God was calling him to preach Christ. Well, when he began to preach Christ, it became very evident to all who were around that this was not his calling. <laughs> and a, an older gentleman who was a godly and very thoughtful individual said, maybe the PC meant plant corn. You, know? <laughs> you can't, there's, there's no guideline to following signs like that. that. Can God close doors and open doors? Absolutely. I think all of us can give testimony to that. But do we expect to see cloud formations or angelic visitations or things like that? No, no. But the Magi did have three things that all contributed. The Jews of the dispersion, the miracle star, and the specific prophecy. Well, there they are. There they are with their gifts. Three of them again. Journey number four. Journey number four. I love this painting. I don't know who the artist was who gave, who made this painting, and I've seen other paintings like it. But this painting is to represent the journey that Joseph made with Mary and the child to Egypt. Why? From the danger in Bethlehem to the safety of Egypt. Why was that trip undertaken? Well, here's another map. I think this comes from the ESV Study Bible. From Bethlehem, somewhere in Egypt. It's not specified where. It's not even specifically. We're not even specifically told how long, but why? Well, we read about the insane jealousy of a king. Who was the king? Herod the Great. Herod the Great, one of the most gifted builders in the ancient world, to be sure, but one who was held in the grips of an insane jealousy and suspicion of anybody that he thought would rival him in his power. And this was coming toward the end of Herod's life. When he heard from the Magi the question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? What is the response that we read about in Scripture? We read, when the king heard this, he was troubled. Boy, is that an understatement. And it says all Jerusalem with him. When the king was agitated, where would heads fall? He had not been reluctant to kill some of his wives and some of his sons and a multitude of others that he was suspicious of. The insane jealousy of a king, the divine protection of the king. Notice the small K king. That's Herod the Great. The capital K king, that's the Lord Jesus. So Herod's plan is to the Magi, go find him, send word to me, and I'll come worship him too. Can anybody in the world believe that, knowing his character? So uh, Joseph is warned in a dream, and he is directed to go to Egypt, And how long was he in Egypt? He was in Egypt long enough for that threat to be gone. Herod was gone, and his son Archelaus reigned in his place. Actually, Joseph was concerned when he heard that Archelaus was ruling. You know, you think of like father, like son, and all that. That God protected the king, capital K, the Messiah, from this attempt Uh, this would fit right into some of what Steve was saying this morning how Satan wants to he wants to prevent 
Christianity. He wanted to prevent the Lord Jesus from even going to the cross. The return and the fulfillment of prophecy. The fulfillment of prophecy is at the end of the section where we read, and and I should read, I didn't read these verses, uh, verse uh, 13 and following here, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod the Great. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. And then we read in the following verses, I think I'll make, uh, not take time to read the verses, but we read that when Herod found out, put two and two together, that they weren't coming back, what did he do? He sent out the decree that all the infants in Bethlehem and the surrounding area, two years of age and younger, should be murdered. lesson. To be guided by God on the journey means that we can go with confidence to places unfamiliar. Was Joseph familiar with Egypt? There's, there's no reason to think that he was familiar with Egypt. But God directs him to go to Egypt. And God protects him on the journey, takes them there, and they remain there safely until it is time to return. The journey. The journey. From the bosom of the Father in the glories of heaven to the sin-cursed earth. We read about this in many places, but I chose to include the passage from Philippians that the Apostle Paul wrote. And it's such a wonderful, rich theological passage, but written for a very, very practical purpose. And the very first words of the passage indicate the practicality of its purpose. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now let me stop right there. What is the attitude? When we get finished reading all through this passage, the attitude that he is commending to the Philippian saints is very clearly the attitude of humility. And now he begins to describe the ultimate example of humility. He says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Wow. To a virgin's womb, 
to a lonely manger, to a servant's life of obedience, to a painful and shameful death on a cross, to a borrowed tomb of a rich man, and to the right hand of the majesty on high. Kind of all that is summarized in these verses that we just read from Paul to the Philippians. How enriched we are to have this doctrinal passage. And you know, with just a couple bullet points on the screen here, we, we cannot even begin to touch the great, great journey that that was from the bosom of the Father to this sin-cursed world and to live in this sin-cursed world for a time. But that's what Jesus did. He humbled himself. So, I see a lesson in this. Since Christ humbled himself by coming from such a height, what a small thing it should be for us to humble ourselves in serving him and each other. That, that's Paul's point for including that here. Let this mind be in you, or uh, I think the NIV translates it, have the same attitude in you as in Christ Jesus. <coughs> the attitude of humility. Well, our journey, our journey. The road goes up and down. There are, of course, twists and turns in the road and all that. Our, we are on a journey from the cradle to the grave and beyond, our journey from the cradle to the grave in this world. Uh, we, we've covered most of, the, most of the territory. It reminds me of when uh, some years ago I spoke up in the panhandle on a series of messages in the rear view, life in the rearview mirror. Most of my life's back there. Most of it is. But here's a good verse for us. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Where is that found in scripture? <laughs> the reference that I put in there. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Walking as wise people who have been given the wisdom that God has revealed to us in Scripture. Because the days are evil. Man, if Paul wrote that in something like, when did he write Philippians or Ephesians? Both of them probably somewhere within the years 60 to 62 AD. Imagine where we are now. Yeah. Anybody have any any closing remarks here? Larry. On behalf of the class, Bob. May I present you with this gift of love from us to you for all you do for us and the teachings that you give us each This I just thought this would be a good time too. Thank you. Thank you. You you guys are you know how much joy I get in doing this? And and how much joy I get in remembering you guys and generally speaking where you sit. <laughs> you, you're, we're kind of flexible in where we move around to but in being able to pray for you and you know, I, I love you uh, I, I would open this right now but I might get embarrassed I'll, I'll send you an email when, when, when I have opened it at home okay and thank you for that and as we said at the beginning here uh, next week 
You make sure you come to church, but make sure you come to church early, I'd say. Next week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, you know, wall to wall, I think. Same thing is true for the week after that, but the week after that, Lord willing, we'll be together here. It'll be a new year. But uh, make sure, make sure you have read about Pilgrim and Christian coming to Doubting Castle. Yeah. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this time of year. Lord, we've read passages of Scripture that we could almost recite from memory because we've heard them so frequently. There's a familiarity with that, and I pray, Father, that our familiarity would not uh, breed in us a casualness to your word. Lord, may may we again be moved to awe and to praise and thanksgiving for what took place in this world when Christ entered the world where we live. Lord, thank you for your work in us. Why, Lord, did you work in any of our lives? You know, as Steve said over and over this morning, and as your word said, it's because he loved us. Not because he saw something good in us. Not because we were better than anybody else. We deserved it. We deserved hell. But Father, thank you for your love. Lord, bless bless us in our lives and bless us in our families and in our homes that we might be unashamed of the gospel of Christ. And Lord, as we have opportunity to be able to share that with neighbors, with friends. And uh, Father, I pray that you would open the eyes and call them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.